Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. Today's guest will allow us to discuss every one of those words in our tagline. So I'm excited about that. I get to his introduction in just a moment. But first, I would like to welcome you. This is your host, Tim, coming to you from the passenger seat of our RV Theo, as I usually do. We've just relocated. We're now in Park City or just south of Park City, Utah, and enjoying it here, having a great time. So um, one thing I would ask you to do if you're joining us either for the first time or even uh, not for the first time, if you haven't done this yet, make sure you visit us on our website, Seek gocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com. Make sure we have your most current and best email address so that we could stay connected and make sure you've got all the most recent updated information. We will not blow up your email inbox. We'll just keep you updated on all that's going on with Seek Go Create. So glad for you to do that. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to have so much fun. We have Kevin White as our guest today. And he describes himself as Jesus follower, husband, dad, grandfather, friend, encourager, world traveler, entrepreneur, speaker, author, and audacious giver. You're going to hear the word audacious a few times during this conversation today, so just get ready. It's not a word we use in everyday conversation, but today Kevin and I are going to use that word audacious, and you'll know why in just a moment. As an author, speaker, and leader, Kevin is convinced that, here's that word again, audacious generosity transforms the world. He's on a mission to empower a culture of generosity through the world with his book that we will discuss, Audacious Generosity. I was able to get that word out and his Generosity of God storytelling campaign. Kevin, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much, Tim. Great to be on the show. Yeah, glad that you're here, and uh, I'm excited about having this conversation. You and I have a great mutual friend in Eric, and uh, and we actually, I think, connected briefly in a clubhouse room not too long ago, I believe, because I saw him and said, wait, I know that name. So anyway, very exciting. Well, Kevin, my first question, I kind of like to get things going with this. I like to ask people, you know, I give the bio, and you, you had so many things I could have given even more than that. I tried to even compress it, but... You and I bump into each other. We just run into each other at church, business, out and about, somewhere, even virtually. And I ask you the question, what do you do? What do you tell people? Uh, I would say I'm the founder and executive director of Global Hope India. And I'm recently an international best-selling author. Wow. So that gets people going, all right? And, and there's so much there i i want to there's one thing i think i heard on a podcast or i heard you say and you and you had it in one of your early uh you mentioned grandfather you're you're kind of a new grandfather aren't you i am one of the best things of 2020 for our family was that our daughter uh, gave us our first granddaughter uh, she was born january the 25th 2020 right before all the shutdown and everything and um, so she was a great stress reliever for our family in 2020. Um, just an incredible bundle of joy, gift from God uh, to us. And she captured our hearts. And yeah, I love and being I, a granddad. I uh, spent time I, with her this morning. I, I think you and I are in similar situations because our first grandchild was born in early February 2020. Okay. And it was a granddaughter also. And we were actually in Colorado Springs, which is not necessarily where you'd want to be in winter if you live in an RV. But we just kind of camped out near there and were able to hang out. And so anyway, it, I, this is what I tell people. And you could kind of probably pile on here. You know, it's great being a father. It's great being a parent. It's great starting businesses, ministries and all that. But mm -hmm. first time grandparent, that's a game changer, right? It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it it give, gives you a whole new perspective of God because um, you feel like I don't know about your season of life when your kids were young, but my season, unfortunately, uh, to my own fault, was way too busy. And life is so much slower now uh, with with her as a as a granddaughter. And I just feel like I'm I'm getting to watch the transitions of life on a way that I didn't get to whenever I was so busy raising our own kids. You know, that's a that's a great point. And for all those listening, we're going to get to business. We're going to talk India. We're going to talk about generosity. But this is 
for for two guys that are like a year into being grandfathers this is like a, a big deal and i i've thought about some things very similar i think i think maybe we think about things on a, at a level of depth i remember when i had our first child i thought to myself oh i understand how god looks at us now but then when i became a grandparent i actually it seemed like it took that to another level. Did it, I mean, and maybe it was busyness or maybe it was perspective. Maybe I don't have to change diapers. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely appreciate um, just the, the generational quality of, of God's goodness to us now on a way that, that I didn't really think about earlier. Um, Matthew 7, 11 has been a verse that's resonated in my heart over the last year, if we be evil, know how to give good gifts to our children and now grandchildren, mm-hmm. how much more does our Heavenly Father love to give good gifts, good gifts to those who ask Him? And so it's one thing for you to give me a gift and to bless me. It's another thing for you to give my granddaughter a gift and to bless her because you're also blessing me and you're blessing her mom and, and dad, our family. Um, and, and you just see that about the goodness of God. Like, Yes, he cares about Tim, he cares about Kevin, but he also is a God that is investing today in our future generations, whether we realize it or not. And that's just incredible generosity for him to be lining things up for my grandkids and their children. So, so here's, here's one, and, and I know you, you've studied and you've been a minister and all that, so I'd love for you to uh, tell me if you think this might have some uh, theological or spiritual merit. I know what it's like for us. You, I think you probably live close to yours, and we actually live at a distance, but, but we, we've got things like FaceTime and things like that now that we're able to, you know, do, do communications with. And I've thought about this, Kevin, that when the FaceTime rings and we've got a special ringtone from our daughter that we know it's usually our granddaughter Adoree going to be communicating with us. We like, you know, we do a dance, we stop everything we're doing and we like fully engage with that conversation. Like I hate to say I would do it right now in the middle of recording a podcast, but I might, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I guess I envision God doing that when we sit down to communicate with him intentionally and focused. Uh, I I do, I wonder, I mean, I I have this view of a joyous God, you know, a God that's not Mm -hmm. angry God like some people do, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think God does that when we sit down to communicate with him like you and I do with our granddaughter? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I love the visual of that. And you're right. I mean, just think of, uh, being all googly-eyed about your your wife um, when you were dating, and now it's just a whole new dimension toward a grandchild like that. But um, again, if we, being so fond and affectionate toward our grandchildren, how much more is God fond and affectionate toward us when we finally tune our ears into His voice or you know connect with Him uh, in a in a um, um, uh, in, in a realm of prayer or Bible study, worship, praise. Um, he, he just goes ballistic, I'm sure, because he just loves <laughs> us that much and longs for our attention and our, our time. Yeah, that's, that's a great visual too. I agree with that. So, all right, well, I want to, I want to shift just a little bit because I think unfortunately, just as a warning to listeners, you could have grandfathers, especially new grandfathers, talk about grandkids, you know, for hours, but we won't do that. Uh, we we want to move along because there's so much to your background and your story that I, I don't want to say it parallels some things that I've seen and been through, but it seems to me, I'll go ahead and start it this way, like you have had some extreme highs and possibly some extreme lows in your journey. Would that be a correct assessment, Kevin? Yeah, definitely, yes. Why, yes. why don't we start off, why don't you just hit a few of the extreme highs and, and then we'll kind of layer that with a few of the lows and we'll use that as a precursor to our conversation about 
because uh, I'd love to kind of talk about some of your business success because I know that you had some of that and even I think you sold your business off. But but then also I like to talk about how people merge business with ministry. But why don't you just hit a few of the highs, knowing that we're going to also going to hit a few of the lows just to give balance to that. How about that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely consider my family a high. Um, my wife, Shelly, and I have been married 33 years. We have three adult children and uh, now a granddaughter. And uh, I'm just an incredibly blessed man. My parents' marriage dissolved whenever I was 12 years old. They, they, they divorced. That was one of the lows. But uh, made, a, made a desire then that I would be uh, a family man that would really um, invest wisely in his wife as well as in his children. And God's just been incredibly merciful and compassionate to me in the realm of family. Uh, I've got to start a lot of things. Obviously, God's the creator and we are the repurpose, um, repositioner, if you will. But um, I, I love startups and um, that would definitely be a high, uh, being able to start churches and nonprofits and businesses and a buku of projects over in India now through Global Hope India, and even now being the author of a book, um, that's a great accomplishment that um, I never knew that God would entrust me with that type of accomplishment. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity that he has given me and so many more like that. I've seen the power of generosity. Um, my parents were poor. I grew up poor. Uh, my parents never had a passport, never left the United States, and I've been to India over 50 times. Uh, so I've seen God do what I used to read about as a 17-year-old uh, in the miracles of the life of Jesus. I've seen him do that in my life. And and I look back and I'm like, who am I? You know, my, I, my parents struggled with academics and I have a college degree and I've traveled the world a million miles, 27 different countries. And uh, who am I? And, and the only difference is that I began uh, to really feel a calling of God on my life. And I just sought um, to, to give credence to that voice and to start following him. And um, I, I just, uh, by the grace of God, was open to him showing me things that um, went against tradition in my family and in the churches that I attended. Um, but but it's I can't take any credit for it. You know, I think that's really one of God's strategies is who where can he display his glory in a way that people can't begin to to own and and to take credit for. And I, I somehow by by the grace of God, he, he chose me to let me experience all these things in my life and I feel like we're just getting started sure so those are those are some high points I'm actually just so you know when I look down I'm taking notes because there's some things I'm going to come back to in all likelihood and I like to try to weave a tapestry as we go through our conversations but uh, let's go ahead and hit a few of the low points or the perceived low points one of the things I think we recognize at times is that some of our growth that we get to those higher points is because of things that we experience that might appear to be low. But uh, but what about a couple of tough times that uh, that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. Um, when my parents divorced, I lived alone for two years, um, felt very neglected um, by, by uh, my age 13 and 14 years old. Very tough uh, to endure that and go through that. Um, but I was 30 years old and was planning a church, had worked three years uh, as a minister and helping start this church. And they fired me as their, as their pastor. That was a major low point in my life. I felt so betrayed by God uh, during that experience. And mm -hmm. I was fired not because I embezzled fine or slept with the secretary. I, I was fired because I was a maniac, workaholic for, for God. Um, and I was in such bondage to the fear of failure. A lot of it was just childhood baggage I had carried around until I was 30 years old. Um, and finally, that 
low point really forced me to forgive my father for some things that had happened in my childhood and forgive myself and release God of false expectations. Cause even that sense of neglect, I feared that I feared that if I didn't perform uh, to his expectations um, that he would begin to neglect me uh, as a follower. And so I, no performance was enough. I had to do, outdo the last offering, the last attendance, the last project. Uh, it was never enough. And I just was an insane workaholic for God. Um, we've had to buy back our possessions. This was years later. And I was at this point very confident in my identity in Christ because of the discipleship. Uh, finally, that some brothers in Christ shared with me, um, but we went through a, a place of financial hardship, and it wasn't my fault. Um, I was serving a ministry organization, and some brothers were um, helping to underwrite the support uh, as a missionary to that organization, and one of them left the church, left his wife, left the church, and, and we began to experience severe financial hardship. A year and a half later, uh, lost the mortgage on our house, had the, took the keys back to the bank manager and surrendered our van back over to the bank. And then uh, when we were evicted out of our home, uh, never been through anything like that before. Long story short, um, we never moved out, never felt prompted by God to move out. And the day actually came when the bank uh, uh, opened up the doors to a charity without us knowing it and gave all of our earthly possessions to that charity. And we had to go back to that charity to buy back. And so for just a few hours, uh, we literally only had the, the clothes on the back of our back and uh, mm. a suitcase full of clothes in the trunk of our car. And we were living with a family in our church uh, when that happened. Um, but it was really that that put me in a place of, of seeing the compassion of God and and the opposite of generosity is greed. And that day I really looked greed in the face. And that really um, was used of God to, to put instill in me uh, just a rebellion against greed. Um, and it really helped open up my eyes to his plan of generosity. I mean, you're not going to find greed in God. You're going to find a generous God for God so loved that he gave. And mm. that's obviously what the book is all about. Yeah, I, I... There's so many things with those stories. And just so you know, there's some parallels. We've actually been in a home that we have lost that home and had to move out and been sitting there without furniture and sheriff knocks on the door and, uh, you know, all, all those things too. And, and it's one of these things, I'm going to ask this question. Maybe I'll, I'll try to word it. I'll just go ahead and ask it this way. I don't wish any of the things we've been through, the low points on anyone. But Kevin, I'm actually thankful now that we've been through those because of what I learned from that. And you, I think you started going down that road when you talked about the battle you have against greed because of that. I mean, do you want to, you want to just kind of keep adding on to those comments I just made? Because my guess is you learned a great deal about yourself, about possessions and things like that during those processes, correct? Yeah. Well, I think um, in today's culture, uh, coming through the pandemic the way that we are, we would um, hopefully more people than just you and I would resonate with this, that we would never choose COVID-19 to hit the world. We would never choose bankruptcy. We would never choose death or any of those tragedies of life the realities of living in a fallen world where no, nothing's going to force us to choose those, but we serve a God that can work, um, work out for his good in the midst of, of, of human need like that. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. while we wouldn't choose it, we would after hindsight, we would be willing to go through it all over again to get where God actually took us in the midst of it. And I believe that there are believers around the world that would say that even about COVID-19. Maybe it's still a little early, um, but I, they're going to say that because that's the kind of character of God that we serve, that he, he does take that which is meant for evil and make it for our good. Um, you know, I'm, it, it's we live in a fallen world and there's going to be unfortunate things that every person's going to endure. 
uh, and we can either get bitter as a result of those bruises or we can become better. And if we'll let God, he will, he will make things better uh, as, as a result. I am so adamant for unity today, but it's because I grew up in a home where my parents' drama overrode my right to have a childhood and my siblings' right to have a childhood. And they loved us. You know, that it wasn't abusive as far as hatred and, and, and that kind of uh, dysfunction, but it was dysfunctional in, in that they were in constant conflict. So today, I am such a proponent of unity. Don't talk bad about my brother. Don't talk bad about my sister. You know, if you have a conflict with them, go face to face and work it out. Uh, just because I believe that that's the heart of God. And we don't have to live in constant conflict, um, even in the midst of, of difficult, um, stressful times. Right. Yeah. And I actually love the way you, you wove your story together because the first thing I heard you talk about was it's really interesting that uh, my wife, actually, her parents divorced at the age of 13. And and we've noticed with her that she had quite a bit of a performance mindset. I think she was always trying to prove her worth. And and that's kind of one of the things you said that you were obviously on fire to do everything right in that first role or that or that ministry role that you're in I I I I bet that was quite a shock to you without anything that appeared to be um bad you mentioned you know no embezzlement no messing around with anybody or anything like that but they let you go because you were working so darn hard it sounds like you were you were working to prove your worth or, or anything like that and then and then you move into the possessions and things like that I, I think that's such a valuable journey that so many of us see and I love how you, you know you talk about um, I, I agree that we're in a time that people are going to have to evaluate a lot of that themselves too, just because of the nature of what's going on. I don't even think we've begun to see the financial impact of what's happened over the last, as we're recording this, 12, 14 months of, of the times of COVID. So uh, I do want to ask though, because I, I want to build upon, uh, I guess Kevin's thought process is the way I like to, to think about it, because you uh, if I understand correctly, you, you felt that you were called. That's a unique word. I, I sometimes struggle with that word called, just so you know. I like the word assignment sometimes better. But you were, you were called to ministry and you spent time in ministry. But then you also did some things in business. Uh, we actually have a pretty wide ranging audience that they do ministry, business, leadership. So let's talk briefly about your business experience and the things you did. I don't separate out ministry and business as much as most, by the way, mm -hmm. because I think that wherever we are, we are ministering if we are followers of Christ. And I think, mm -hmm. I think you would probably agree, but, but let's talk specifically about your business. Cause you had some successful businesses that did very well and probably were part of who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that just like, um, trying to build a tower to get to heaven, uh, we build a lot of boxes that we try to put God in. And what you just described are two of those infamous boxes of business and ministry. And I'm, I'm, you can look at the life of Jesus and see that he tore down those walls. And yet we still try to put those walls back. But in, in the most um, free environment, God would say, take down the walls. You know, don't, don't put me in a box of business or a box of ministry, but have ministry when you're in business. Um, and so we, we had, um, a feeding ministry that is called with love from Jesus ministries. We worked there for seven years. Uh, I was the founder and executive director. And then I turned that over to the leadership there and our kids were, um, in high school at this point. And we were about to hit those years of braces and cars and yearbooks and different things. And, uh, for the longest time during those seven years, we didn't need a whole lot of income and I didn't really see it coming, but, uh, God, began to impress upon me that my time at, with Love From Jesus was over. And I literally turned that over and had no idea of what I was going to do next. Uh, I was free and I wasn't worried about it. But I began to have a sense that I had learned marketplace, um, market, marketplace strategies that would, that in ministry that I had never really 
understood the value of, one of which was QuickBooks. Uh, I, as, as a church planner, as a uh, organizer of nonprofits, I knew accounting. Um, I would never, I would, I'm not a CPA, I, I don't mean it like that, but I, uh, uh, financial accounting had always been a core value and keeping a very close eye on the numbers and, um, and being very systematic about financial uh, accountability and, and accounting. And so I began to just see brothers and sisters in Christ that had a skill like a heating and cooling guy that he, he, he had a trade and he could go and do wonders on an FAC, but whenever it came to his back office, it was in shambles. And the cleaning lady would be in the same thing. So they had great trades, uh, skills, work of their hands, but, but very poor business principles. And, and I really began seeing that God would, would have me go and help them put their house in order and started a company called Freedom Managers, providing by-the-hour business management services. And three years later, we had 62 clients and 10 employees that were servicing them. And then my my church called me to come on staff to help them with campus expansion. And I sold that, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it was a great financial blessing, those three years. And then what, what we sold it for was a great blessing at that season of our life uh, to really help our family out financially sure what are all right so this is this is something that always fascinates me and and i've shared this before i was actually saved in a business setting so i wasn't saved in a traditional church environment so to me i've never separated out business ministry even church but i know that like you said there's these boxes and it goes back to why there's so much disunity or disharmony in the world because we try to label people put them in boxes when really we're you know we're spirit soul body and you know we're business we're ministry and all of that but i I think i want to ask it this way what did that time running a for-profit business what are some of the principles, the values, the practice, whatever? What are some things you learned from that that helped you when you went back into what many would call a full-time ministry role? What are some things that you brought into that that maybe you didn't have before uh, that, uh, that maybe you could recognize? Are there, are there any of those that come to mind? I'm always curious about that. Well, one of the things that I found, and it wasn't a surprise to me, but but it did tear down some stereotypes of tradition, and that was um, God was very much at work in the business marketplace. And yes. sometimes we want to put God in a box and say, oh, well, he works around the church altars and mm-hmm. inside the pews of a church, but yet he is very much alive in um, these network meetings uh, around. There's lots of believers, and, and God is is making his glory known. And people, as you say, uh, I've met many people that were saved in the midst of a business conference or meeting uh, like that and really found Christ there. And um, and so the, the takeaway from those years was that um, there's not a whole lot of difference. The difference between uh, nonprofit and for-profit is what you do with it. Um, you, your nonprofit better be profitable or it's not going to be sustainable. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I have to say that to board members because they'll get into, into thinking, yes, I mean, a, a nonprofit can get into trouble if you start treating income um, that, is, that should be taxable as, as untaxable. You know, revenue sales are, are tech, taxable whether you're nonprofit or whether you're for profit and things like that. There, there are laws and regulations and things like that. But at the end of the day, a nonprofit has to have income to sustain. And uh, it's just what you do with it that either keeps you a nonprofit or, or makes you for profit. And so, um, the, you know, the importance of numbers, the importance of valuing people first, um, all of that's the same, whether, whether it's a for-profit company or a nonprofit uh, company. Knowing your mission, knowing your why, um, knowing your core values um, are just as important regardless of, of whether you have um, LLC, Inc., um, or church out, out by the name. 
Um, yeah, that's good. That that's that's helpful. One of the things that it seems, if if I'm wrong on this, let me know. But it seems as if from from kind of a challenging background, that at some point, it, uh, at least a large number of organizations that you were a part of, you either started them, or you quickly moved to the leadership or a leadership role in that organization, and and I don't. I don't think that is a mistake. I guess what I would love for you to to share, because we love to talk leadership also, is what were the traits or the characteristics that you had that either moved you to leadership or you started what it was? Can you think of a few things that might, and and it could be spiritual, practical, you were trying to prove something, I don't know, but just anything come to mind that you could share from all of those uh, stops along the way on your journey? Hmm. Uh, The word vision comes to mind. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you have to see what other people haven't seen yet, and you have to start um, heading in that direction. And you form your your strategy around it. You build your products or your services around that. Um, And vision is incredibly important. Even the Bible says, without vision, people perish. And so a company without vision is not going to be here very long. A church without vision is not going to be here very long. A person without vision is not going to end up doing very much since vision is very important. Right. But so there and and I love what you talked about with your financial piece earlier with the with the business freedom managers is you talked about something very practical, which is just taking care of the money. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, so I, I love that you're saying vision, which to me is way up here, you know, that's 50,000 mm-hmm. feet, but then you've got the practical. So anyway, I, I could see how you have done well in all of those areas. And I think what I'd love to do now is I want to pivot and I want to talk a little bit about India and I'm weaving all of this into generosity. Okay. I've got, I've got notes here where I'm going to tie a few things together here. So, uh, mm-hmm. just for the listener and for you, but, uh, somewhere along the way you took a trip to India and I think you mentioned 50 trips later or something like that. So you are almost, uh, uh, you've been to India more time, more than people have probably lived there and all, but why India? Mm-hmm. Tell us how that started. And then I'm also going to ask you to educate those people that that maybe haven't traveled uh, to kind of tell us about uh, what different cultures can do for us. So you could probably tell I like to learn from experiences. So uh, why India, Kevin? How did that get started? Yeah, well, the the best answer is just that God and his sovereign plan uh, really spoke India into existence in, in my life. I'm a native from North Carolina. Uh, 20 years ago, there was no Indian nationals living in North Carolina that I had ever met. Now, um, I'm actually sitting in Morrisville, North Carolina, and the largest minority here are Indian nationals. Um, and so the world certainly changed, and God saw that. None of this was a surprise to him 20 years ago. In 1998, two months after I had been fired from this church, um, God took me over to India. And it was really a part of that trip that really impacted me to rewrite my philosophy of ministry, my purpose for living. I saw the presence of God in India in a way that I had not even valued here in the USA. Uh, when you are stripped away of your resources. So I went to thatch roof huts with no pipe organs, no instruments, no budgets, no bulletins, but what a passionate pursuit of God and what a sense of his presence there and incredible stories of miracles. Um, At that point, there was no 911 system. And so if your baby got a fever, you better start praying or that baby's going to die. And they would pray. And they would fast and they would see God move in miraculous forms that we are not always privy to here in the U.S. without that kind of passionate pursuit for the presence of God. And so, you know, we go on a mission trip hoping that we can do some good. But God really used India to change my life and Mm -hmm. to like I have two halves of my life pre-India and after India. And 
pre-India was bondage and and I wanted power, I wanted the peace of God, but I wasn't pursuing the presence of God. The second half over the last 20 years has been totally focused on pursuing the presence of God. And that's when all these miracles have happened of this feeding ministry with Love From Jesus Ministries and me getting to go on staff with our church, starting the companies, uh, now being 10 years with Global Hope India, having gone to India 50 times, all of that's been after this trip to India. So one of your questions was, how is it different? Uh, India is as different as as, uh, Kansas is to, to New York um, City, um, it, it's beautiful. You know, uh, it takes 24 hours to get there by by flight. You, if you take two uh, a stop or two along the way, um, but the uh, religion-wise, they're um, uh, 70% Hindu, 20% Muslim, uh, 5% Christian. Um, they speak a variety of languages. It's the most bizarre thing. It's like going from North Carolina to South Carolina, and now now you can't speak the local language anymore, and so you can't ask for directions anymore. Um, English has become their marketplace language because of that, yeah. and now their development has soared. Everyone has cell phones now. They have cable TV now, and so the the globe has certainly surrounded India, and India has embraced that. Um, but India represents a third of all unreached people. So as a believer, that really captures my heart. There's 7 billion people alive today. 4 billion have access to know about Jesus and three do not. And Matthew 24 verse 14 says the good news of this kingdom will be preached in every nation and then the end will come. And so if we're wondering if COVID-19 is going to take out the world, it's not. Because Jesus said it's only when everyone has access to the gospel that the end will come. That's the only thing Bible has ever um, presented, foretold as how the end's going to come. And it won't be a nuclear war. Uh, there'll be rumors of wars and all this, the Bible says. But the end will not come until everyone has access. And still today, 2021, 3 billion people have limited to no access. And one of those billion call India home. And so I believe it's been very strategic of God to allow me to go to India to educate me on that so I could be an advocate for that here with Global Hope India for the last 10 years. Yeah, one thing, and boy, I didn't even share this with you. It actually just came to mind. But we here at Seek Go Create have a very large audience in India Mm -hmm. because there are a few platforms over there that... I did not even know we were on and I look at our metrics and I go, oh my gosh, we are growing at exponential rates in India. I do not know a lot about the people listening in. So my hope is right now, and we'll include it in the title and things like that, the people listening going, oh, look at these two guys in America talking about India. But uh, I visited there a few times. I remember my first trip, I think I was in a cab in Delhi New Delhi, and and the guy told me, he goes, you do know that there are 30 million Christians here in India at, at that time. I didn't know the numbers or anything. I was there on business. And I was just kind of doing the math in my head. I said, okay, there's about a billion people here at that time. 30 million, I'm thinking, I'm trying to do percentages, you know, <laughs> Kevin, mm-hmm. and I'm going, that's a lot, but it's not a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but I can tell you the people are beautiful. I've actually got few uh, two business clients right now. One that actually is in India, in um, in uh, Mumbai, and another one that we're actually setting up an office there, an engineering office. And so, beautiful people there. Um, tell a little bit more, and and I know to take a country with one point whatever billion people and talk in general about the culture. But in the United States, everywhere in the world, people have gotten so, you talk about boxes earlier, they've gotten so boxed in with their culture, with the way they believe, with their politics, with their whatever, even their religion. Um, tell some, tell people that are listening that are maybe not from India, the people in India are no, but, but not, give them a few cultural things that might be helpful for them just to expand our horizons a little bit. So help us out there. Yeah. Well, I would want people to know that Indians are, uh, Indian nationals are just like you and I. Um, they're, they're everyday men and women, boys and girls who have a soul, uh, who have a heart. 
um, and are, are just like most Americans can be characterized as good people, most Indians can be as well. Um, they have a strong culture of family value um, and like, like arranged marriages are something that uh, really intrigue a lot of people because uh, here in the U.S. we have what we call love marriages and most of them fail. But in India, they have arranged marriages and most of them succeed. And so there's a lot that we could learn from India, not telling people to go to mom and dad and ask them to arrange your marriage. But but there's there's a there's values behind that. Um, and and, you know, um, just just really taking care of their elders like we have um, one of the fastest growing segments of the United States population right now is um, geriatrics and uh, mm -hmm. senior adult living. And that is growing in India as far as, but, but the way in which it's being handled is, is too opposite. Like, like here, we, we put our parents in uh, apartments, uh, then assisted living, and then non-assisted living, and basically institutional care. But there, um, mom and dad and grandparents move in uh, with, their, with their children, and, and their children take care of them. Um, and, and the institutional part of senior adult care is obviously for the extreme cases of, of the medical needs that really need some type of medical assistance like that. Um, so you're not going to find the community population growing the way that it does in the U.S. as far as all of the senior adult centers uh, that are growing here. You won't see that in India right now. Yeah, yeah one thing that's interesting, uh, yeah, we... It, it's really interesting what we learn about ourselves when we go to other countries like this, the challenges that we have with poverty. I want to ask you about that in just a second in India, but obviously the elderly, I haven't heard that comment. So thanks for sharing that. But, um, but it's, it's so, uh, I guess it's interesting how there was one word you used that I, I wanted to make sure I'm clear on. I used to use the term Asian Indians quite a bit. You use the term Indian nationals. Is that the correct term to use? Because, you know, we've got Indians that we talk about in the mm -hmm. U.S. So educate us on that real quick. Tell us what to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that there's a politically correct uh, way. I certainly don't think uh, anything um, is perceived as a negative by referring to Indians as mm -hmm. Asian Indians. I think I think that's quite common, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. And Indian nationals is common, maybe just because I serve Global Hope India, and, and that's common uh, for mm -hmm. us. Because um, here in our community, and and rapidly around the USA, uh, there are millions of Indian nationals living here, and mm -hmm. uh, so. Um, yeah, either one I think are safe to use. So, so another thing that uh, I recognized, you just brought up a great point, and this this to me I think speaks to generosity, and may help us for those in the United States understand things a little bit differently. You mentioned that the family unit takes care of the elderly, and in India they also have a very high I think at the time I was going over there 20, 30 years ago, there was 600 million or so poverty, like below poverty. I'm sure the numbers are probably similar, but, you know, one would comment from the United States and say, well, why doesn't the government just step in and take care of those people? Well, the sheer numbers just make that impossible. And so people like you are going over and others. So let's begin weaving this term generosity in, but speak to generosity as it relates to those groups of people that I don't know if challenge is the right word. Uh, you know, at I don't even know what the right term is, but, um, but it, it can't, there's, there's actually physically impossible for a government to take care of 600 million people there. So, so I guess speak to us a little bit about that. And then I'm going to begin moving into some discussion about the book. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, India, unfortunately, is one of the poorest, neediest, um, and unreached countries in the world. Mm. Um, there are still over a thousand leper colonies that exist in India, 
where leprosy has been totally eradicated in most countries around the world, but it speaks to their lack of sanitation, uh, that leprosy is still existence, uh, existing in India. India is home to half of the world's orphans, uh, and you're right, uh, most of India, over 60%, um, make less than $2 a day and uh, really go um, day to day in a, in a state of survival from one meal to the next. And the pandemic has been crushing on so many uh, laborers, as they're called in India, uh, the taxi drivers and the uh, people that serve in the hotels and, and cook in the restaurants, uh, and all the factory workers that were thrown out of staff housing um, because of the pandemic earlier and, and forced to go hundreds of miles back to their home villages in order to survive. Um, and, and now our agricultural workers again. Um, and, and so just incredible hardship financially. But in that culture, in that environment is where we really see the power of generosity. Uh, I've seen it firsthand where the, it's the, it's the, the God of Christianity, the, Jesus, that is the only God that has ever um, laid down his life for his friends. And no other world religion is ever going to top Jesus whenever it comes to generosity. Uh, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. And so obviously not everyone um, understands Jesus and wants Jesus. And um, the country of India has many villages. There's 700,000 villages throughout India and 400,000 have a, a recognizable form of the Christian faith, whether it's a pastor or a church or a family that are worshiping Jesus, but 300,000 have no gospel presence at, at all. And most of them are, would not want an evangelist to come and start preaching to them. They would throw rocks at a pastor if he did that. But that same village would open up their gates to a free medical clinic. That's generosity uh, at, it, at its best right there, uh, the power of generosity. And I've seen that uh, even in sports tournaments and medical clinics and children's programs. Uh, where a village would not want a pastor to come in and build a church, but they would let these programs come in. And then the same Christians can share the same testimony and distribute the same Bibles, but it's all done um, through generosity and, and not through that boxed up program called church anymore. It's like the church being without walls. And so you really see then how that, that the power of generosity to tear down walls. Yeah, and, and one of the things I think right before we hit record, you mentioned that while you're unable to travel, y'all are moving into a virtual mission type mode. Tell us briefly about that. What does that look like? What do you see the future? How, how, how can you do missions virtually? Yeah, yeah, we're really excited about it. I've taken a thousand people with me over to India in the last 10 years, and we're going to continue to value short-term mission teams over to India. Our three pillars for Global Hope India is to pray, give, go. And we find that by getting people to go, that's the biggest catalyst for changing how they pray and how they give. And so we're going to go all day long. Obviously, right now, because of the pandemic, we can't go physically in person, but we can go virtually. And so just like uh, we're living on Zoom for work and different things, we can use Zoom and modern technology uh, to actually connect for the purpose of ministry with uh, churches and pro projects and programs over in India. And, and so we can have believers here that will pray uh, for um, believers there that would share testimonies, that would share God's word. Uh, even children's programs can happen via Zoom uh, with, with interaction from the locals there as, as someone is instructing here uh, via Zoom. And so we're real excited about the virtual mission teams and that opportunity and feel like that's something that's going to stay even after the pandemic um, because it exposes missions to people that maybe even can't get on a plane and go. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've taken a thousand. Well, there's 311 million people in the USA, more than that now, probably. Um, yeah. And so obviously we got a long way to go. And if we can take thousands, then maybe we can somehow get hundreds of thousands online and expose them to missions virtually. Yeah, that that's just um, I do think there's going to be so many cool things that come out of what these last few months have been, which is probably a very difficult time. We wouldn't, very similar to our personal stories, we wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but I believe we're going to be better on the, on the other side of it. So, so at some point along the way, you made the decision to write a book called Audacious Generosity. I mean, it's sometimes even hard for me to say Audacious Generosity. Um, Those are two really big words. First question I'd love to ask about it is what provoked you to write this book? What was the catalyst? Yeah. So it was November, 2019. I started feeling God just impressing upon me to write. And that was before COVID was even in my vocabulary. And I came back from India January the 8th, 2020 and started meeting with a coach and began writing. I'd never written a book and finished it by May and turned it over to the publisher in June and it went on Amazon in November. It was a wonderful, worshipful experience um, to to really uh, have that time um, of really seeking uh, God's will and and what He would have me to write and and I I loved I loved that uh, there were several things that happened um, the word courage really resonated uh, in with me during December and January uh, of that time and and I started writing thinking that it was going to be a be a book about courage because as I look back at why why did why did I get to experience God in a way that my parents didn't and, and my, my extended family didn't and different things like that. And I just really see that as a 17 year old, God really showed me in his word that he's not given us a spirit of fear, uh, but a power, love and a sound mind. So I started writing about courage and then I just began to sense God just showing me that it's courage that afforded me freedom and courage and freedom combined afforded me a life of audacious generosity. And that that's really been God's strategy from the very beginning. His, his mission's always been his presence in our lives from Adam and Eve and creation all the way through the Old Testament, the Psalm into the New Testament, the miracles of Jesus, uh, the early church. It's always been to bring his presence into our lives for us to value his presence and benefit from those with guidance and provision that we needed and his strategy, John three sixteen, God so loved that he gave. And so I really believe it's the strategy of God. Uh, audacious generosity is, is the strategy of God to finish the task of the great commission. Yeah. And all right, so when the word generosity comes up, especially when we're in, I'll call it church circles, the, the word giving will usually be associated with it. And then when giving comes up, usually money is attached to it somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so with just giving you those three words, talk about how they relate and how they're different so that people have an understanding of that. Because I, I don't like that they're lumped together at times, but we know that people do that. So, sure. so teach to us a little bit about the difference between generosity, giving and money. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, in audacious generosity really identify that, um, God is the giver Mm. and that giving depends upon what God puts into our hands. Uh, why did God allow a poor kid from sunshine, North Carolina to write a book on audacious generosity? Why not why not someone from Wall Street? Why not some financial guru that has made billions and billions of dollars? Um, I really believe God allowed me to write it because I've not had anything in my hands. And, and when he has put things in my hands, I've led, leveraged it for his kingdom. Um, my ministry started uh, as uh, PTL Club was unraveling. Uh, the ministry of Jim and Tammy Faye, Faye Baker. Um, and, and it really started in an environment of hostility toward the prosperity gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember even attitudes of how dare you be a Christian and ask God for more. And uh, then whenever I'd be alone in, in the presence of God and, and with reading in the Bible, I kept sensing the spirit of God just really giving me boldness and courage to ask him for more. But in audacious mm-hmm. generosity, I define that God's more is always more of himself, more mm-hmm. for himself. Um, and, you know, the word makes it very clear that everything has been made by him and for him. And so, um, you know, it's not about money being a problem. Um, you, you asked me to, to talk about money and giving. Well, well, giving is liberated when we start thinking of giving as whatever God puts into our hands. And the pressure doesn't go on me anymore. It goes on God. And that's where I really believe God wants it from the very beginning. Um, we look at giving as being an expectation from God. And I would say, absolutely not. Giving is an opportunity from God. There's a big difference in those two words, but yet the enemy, I believe has been very crafty to put, put these two words in conflict in most believers minds thinking God expects me to give, uh, God expects my money. And there's no truth to that biblically at all. It's an opportunity. He says, test me in this. That's an opportunity. That's not a real stick um, of him wanting to bull down wrath on us if, if we fail at, uh, in the area of our giving. And there's, and, and, there's, yeah. and there's many in, I'll call it religious circles now, that they get into the argument over the percentage of giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I, I probably shouldn't, but I just kind of chuckle at that. Because to me, it seems as if you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they're missing the point. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't seem like audacious generosity to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. And if you look at what Jesus praised when uh, he says that the rich people were given of their surplus in the temple, but the widow came in, he said she has given everything. And that's really the percentage that, that God is after. Uh, he owns it all. And there's freedom in that. Um, it is so liberating to realize God owns my house. He's the one that's going to take care of it. I mean, when we think of adoption, like we can, we can ent- entertain that God has spiritually adopted us. And that when we are dead from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord. But then we don't want to give God responsibility for our cars or for our homes and for the financial parts of life. And yet yeah. there's so much freedom when we do. There's so many cool things about the book, and I'm going to recommend. I, I was only able to scan. I wasn't able to read like I would like to, but a few things that I really loved, I'll just mention here. I loved how your family wrote uh, about uh, this topic and about you and your wife, Shelly, at the beginning of it. And I'll just let people go to the book and get that. But there was a statement that you made early on that was something to the effect of, I hope I wrote it down here right, that we have no margin for generosity. And I don't know if you meant individuals or culture or whatever, but could you explain that a little bit more as we, we're getting close to finishing up here, but what do you mean by we have no margin for generosity? Well, we just feel so maxed out with our time. So if you look at what um, a, a, a typical preacher is going to ask of us whenever it comes to generosity, they're gonna bring up the time, treasures, and talents. And time-wise, we're maxed out. Treasures, we're maxed out. Talents, we're, we're maxed out. And, and so we just, we just live in an area without much margin to really look at um, the, the strategy of generosity. And yet, uh, when, when we realize that, that we serve a God, that in order to bless us, he will say, what about others? Then, then we realize that he has so much more capacity than what we've held him to. We, mm. we have, I, I, I just confess this, okay? I don't mean to point fingers at brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, mm. but for me, the vast majority of my years, I held God to a standard of questioning whether he would take care of me instead of a vision of him giving to others through me. And there's a big difference at what the end looks like. 
mm-hmm. in that in that scenario. Um, what if the disciples on the hillside only focused on themselves and did not follow Jesus' instructions when he said, have the people sit down and began to follow his instructions? And what we read about is a glorious miracle of God feeding 15 plus thousand people. Uh, but it took them moving from them focusing in on themselves and where they're going to eat to allowing God to use them like the miracle. If you really look at the scripture, the the fish and loaves did not multiply in Jesus's hands. It multiplied in the disciples hands. What an incredible experience of God to witness that. I mean, like, like I, I can't, I can't believe I, I, I have a hard time thinking that Hollywood or Bollywood would do it justice in trying to, put a visual to the fish popping out of the basket and the bread and loaves multiplying and all that. Um, but it did, it did. And it happened in the disciples hands and, and it happened because they allowed the creator to say, what about others? Yeah, and Jesus that's... literally went to Philip and said, where can we buy bread that they may eat that these people might eat. And obviously Philip's human, just like me and you, he would be standing there saying, I'm hungry. I want to eat, but he allowed God to say, what, what about others? And a miracle yeah. is now recorded as a result. I think the timing of the book is so valuable with the way you released it in, in the midst of a lockdown, in the midst yeah. of people being extremely, let's, let's just use the word com- uncomfortable because I think our society, I think in January, I don't think people were really that comfortable, but they thought they were in January of 2020. People thought they were, I think we've, we've been, we've seen how, how our comfort was probably an idol for many of us and, and generosity. I love what you're saying here is that really that is the way we move beyond this uncomfortableness. And that is so cool. And I I love the thought of that. Tell us real quick, I'm actually going to have you speak to some people that might be listening in from India before we wrap up here. I just had that thought, but tell Mm -hmm. us where to get the book. We're going to direct people to get the book, and then I'm going to have you say a word to them before I ask my final question for you. So uh, let us know where to connect with you and where to get the book. Yeah. Well, knowing that we're talking to an international audience, I would say uh, the easiest place is Amazon. It's available paperback, hardback. Uh, ebook and audiobook everywhere uh, books are sold online you can also go to my website kevinwhite.us um, my my mail goes to the US audience uh, and I'd be happy to service you from from my website uh, books a little cheaper on my website than than on Amazon um, but um, the ebook is available in the audiobook everywhere ebook and audiobooks are available. So even in India and uh, all countries around the world, you're, you're able to find that. Okay, there. perfect. We'll include that down in the episode notes with links so that people can get to your website and, and do that. But I, I would love, this is a little bit different. So, and I didn't prep you for this at all, but I felt maybe the Holy Spirit prompting me because I know we have thousands literally that are listening to our podcast in India, Kevin, I'm going to allow you to just speak into the mic, whatever you would like to say to them for 60 seconds, a minute or two, whatever. And then I've got one final question before we wrap up. So just talk to someone who's listening in, maybe curious, intrigued, maybe they want to try to connect or whatever. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. Two things come to mind. If you would be honest and say that you sense that you're far from God, I would just encourage you that God loves you and he sent his one and only son to die in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. Even as a Hindu or a Muslim, you know sin, uh, but you don't have a solution for it. But Jesus offers you a solution. Uh, where where he exchanges his death for your life. There's no greater exchange you'll ever make with anyone uh, than, than that. And every guidance, every provision you'll ever need can be found right now in the presence of God. 
if you are a believer, then uh, I'm so glad to be your brother or your uh, to, to you as a brother or sister. And I'm sure Tim agrees with that. And I would just encourage you to stay tuned in here to the podcast. Uh, Tim has given you great content and encouragement on a weekly basis. And uh, just know that you are loved and we are great to be brothers uh, with you and encourage you in your faith. And we're praying for you to be strong in the Lord today. Excellent. What a, what a cool world we're in that uh, a few years ago, we would have never been able to connect like that. And, you know, I look at metrics and I see India and then we get on and I actually didn't connect it initially that we may need to speak to people there. So thank you for doing that, Kevin. Kevin, we are Seek, Go, Create. And my final question I like to ask is which one, I hate to make people pick, but I, I do it just because I think it's cool to do. So mm -hmm. which one of those words jumps out at you or resonates with you more than the other two and why? I love all three of those words. They are powerful words. And at various seasons of my life, they have all been incredibly valuable to me. Um, had you asked me this over a year ago, I would have said go. Um, we are we are called to go to India, and I would still champion that. But create has definitely been a word that has become even more valuable uh, to me personally. And, and just knowing that God is so after our attention and our, our focus, and he really is an ever-present help in time of need. Globally, we can be divided and we can be in conflict over a variety of things at any given time, but there's one thing that we will agree with, most likely, and that is that our world has more a greater sense of need today than we had before the pandemic. And he is an ever-present help in time of need. And, and so look for him uh, as, he, as he uses you to create. Um, and I, I just value um, that and knowing that God is creating pathways to his presence in our lives today. Excellent. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing with us, with our audience today. It's been, it's been a fantastic conversation. If you have listened in and you have been blessed or enjoyed this, I know that you have, I would ask that you do a few things. Number one, if you don't follow, I think the word subscribe used to be used in podcasts, but now they're starting to shift to the word follow. If you don't follow Seek Go Create, please do that. If you're watching this on YouTube, obviously uh, follow, subscribe there. If you're on one of the podcast platforms, just follow, subscribe there. And I'd like for you to share this. I know you know someone that would benefit from this conversation about generosity, about the culture in India, just about Kevin's story and all that he's been through. So please share this, share it on the socials. And then you can also connect with us. We're on all the socials. We're Seek, Go, Create. And we just look forward to continuing the dialogue and the conversation with you. We have new episodes every Monday. Make sure you uh, listen in. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, the listener. And until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. Oh,